On today's episode... We didn't have 911 back then, and if we had a problem, a teacher would just open the door and yell, Haskell! And here he would come with a dustpan full of throw-up compound and a little broom and come in the room and scatter it around, and it was gone. How did she know? All kinds of tales. From all kinds of tellers. Here on The Appleseed. It's time for The Appleseed. In each episode of the show, we bring you a couple of stories from favorite storytellers. And those stories will entertain you, they'll inspire you, they'll get you thinking, and they may even help your family tell your own stories. I'm Sam Payne, your host. And our first story is from North Carolina storyteller Donald Davis. It's a school memory about all the grown-ups who are important to an elementary school student. And we think it'll bring up memories for you as you think about your own time at school, whether that time has long passed or is still going on. Do you remember your first teacher? How about the lunch lady? And what about the custodian or, or the principal? With any luck, this story will remind you of those folks or of other grown-ups who were important to you, who cared for you, whether you were aware of it or not. Here's Donald Davis with the story, The Principal, recorded live in the Appleseed Studio. So I was six years old, and I'd just finished my very first day of school. I got home that, that night, and my dad came home from where he worked at the bank, and we sat down at the table to have our supper, and my dad said, well, you went to school today. Did you meet the principal? Well, that was a good question, except for one thing. I didn't know what the word principal meant. <laughs> so I had no idea whether I'd met the principal or not. So six years old, I said to my dad, what is the principal? Tell me what the principal is and maybe I'll know. And my dad looked at me and he said, well, the principal is the person at school who is really in charge of you. And right then I thought, I know who it is. It's Miss Annie Ledbetter. <laughs> Miss Annie Ledbetter was a very sort of substantially created woman. Uh, and uh, uh, pants never touched her legs. <laughs> Miss Annie Ledbetter had five dresses. She had a Monday dress and a Tuesday dress and a Wednesday dress and a Thursday dress and a Friday dress. If she had worn those dresses in chromatic order, we would have learned our colors. <laughs> but instead, she started kind of dull on Monday, and then it got brighter by brighter by brighter. Thursday was a bright year. Friday was red dress day. That Friday dress was the color that fire trucks are supposed to be. It was made out of this kind of double knitty stuff so it could sort of go in and out with the tide. And, and it had little white stripes that went up and down and little white stripes that went back and forth. One day Harris Prevost said, oh, Miss Ledbetter, that dress makes you look like a big brick building. <laughs> and she was the first one to start laughing and she laughed harder and longer than anybody else. And you know, it was years before I really realized how fortunate it was to start the first grade with a teacher who always knew how to laugh. But my daddy said, no, son, she's not the principal. Miss Ledbetter is just your teacher. I said, well, she takes care of me and that's all that matters. I said, tell me again what the principle is so this time I can get it right. My dad said, think about it this way. 
Ms. Ledbetter takes care of one little group of students. The principal takes care of all the students at the school. And the principal also takes care of all the teachers. And then I really knew who it was. I said, it's Miss Calhoun. Miss Calhoun lived in the lunchroom. <laughs> she had never been sighted anywhere else. <laughs> and she wore this, this white uniform that was the same color as the government surplus lard we got. And, and this, this white hairnet that was the same color as the government surplus flour we got. And, and every day, Miss Calhoun made homemade yeast rolls. You always wanted to be sent for a little errand in the middle of the morning so you could sneak through the, through the lunchroom because a great entertainment was watching Miss Calhoun make the yeast rolls. She had an enormous stainless steel, uh, sort of a bowl-shaped pan. I actually have that pan now. I got it years later when they were throwing away things at Hazelwood School. You could bathe twins in that pan. <laughs> She would have a huge mountain of living yeast dough growing and growing, and her hands would go down into it, and she was the same color as the dough, so you couldn't tell where she stopped and the dough started. And she had big floppy arms, and oh, it would just be going all around everywhere. And all of a sudden, she would go squirt, and her roll would land in the pan. Squirt, land in the pan. She'd fill up a whole pan and then paint the top with melted butter, and oh, you could smell them baking from one end of the school to the other. And and we didn't, in those days, have breakfast at school for kids. And if a teacher saw some little child and knew that little child hadn't had anything to eat, she would say, sweetheart, go down there and see Miss Calhoun. And that little kid would come back with a hot yeast roll with butter oozing out the sides, and their whole life would be better after that. <laughs> but my daddy said, no, she's not the principal. She's the lunchroom lady. I said, well, tell me again so I can get it right. Tell me again. He said, think about it this way. The principal doesn't own the school, but sometimes it seems like it. Uh, the principal's like the king of the school. It seems like. The principal's in charge of everything. The buildings, the school buses, the playground, all the students, all the teachers. And I knew now for sure who the principal was. I said, I've got it. It's Haskell Davis. Haskell was actually my daddy's first cousin. He was the first person we saw every day when we got to school. He would hold the door open, and we would go to school under his arm. <laughs> and as we went in, he would say, good morning, little Davis. Good morning, little Rathbone. Good morning, little Messer. Good morning, little whatever our last name was. And then he'd say, feel my muscle. Feel my muscle. <laughs> Haskell weighed about 95 pounds. About 90 pounds was red hair and freckles. <laughs> but as skinny as he was, he had a bicep that was like a ball bearing. And as we went under his arm, we'd reach up and we'd touch that muscle. It was like touching a rock. And after that, we behaved all day. <laughs> because Haskell had the amazing ability of multiple location. He could be in the downstairs boys' bathroom and upstairs in the library at the same time. <laughs> he could be in the lunchroom and out in the back where the trash was burned at the same time. 
And on top of that, Haskell was in charge of the throw-up compound. <laughs> he kept it in a big green barrel in a, in a closet off the hall. We didn't have 911 back then. And if we had a problem, a teacher would just open the door and yell, Haskell! And here he would come with a dustpan full of throw-up compound and a little broom and come in the room and scatter it around and it was gone. <laughs> And I thought, if he's not the principal, I don't know who is. And my daddy said, no, Haskell's not the principal. He's the janitor. We would call him the custodian, but Haywood County can't afford four syllables. (laughs) And I almost started to cry, and I said to my daddy, I just can't get it right. I can't get it right. And my dad looked at me. My dad was 50 years old when I started the first grade. And he had a lot more wisdom than the 27-year-old fathers had. He said, no, son, you got it right. Because you know that titles don't matter. Everybody you meet in the world only needs one of two titles. Everybody you meet will either be somebody who might hurt me or somebody who might help me. And your job is to stay away from the people who might hurt you and spend as much time as you can with the people who might help you. Donald Davis with The Principal. That story was kind of a love letter to all the grown-ups that help a kid along the way. And it may have brought up for you the memory of someone in your life. It did for me. I like to say that you never know what's going to bring on a memory, and you never know what memory it's going to bring on. And as I listened to Donald Davis's story... I thought of someone I haven't remembered in years. She was my Sunday school teacher when I was nine years old. Her name was Mrs. Bullock. And she was young, and she and her husband were only in town long enough for him to finish up a few college classes. And so she didn't live in my community for very long, just long enough to be my Sunday school teacher for a while. She gave me my first copy of the Bible, turned me into someone who was interested in that book. And for a class party, she took all the nine-year-olds in my congregation to see The Empire Strikes Back. And as we were driving home from the movie, all of us nine-year-olds insisting vociferously that Darth Vader had to simply be lying about being Luke's father. After all, Obi-Wan Kenobi had said that Vader had murdered Luke's father, right? Well, Mrs. Bullock spoke up softly and said, maybe Obi-Wan Kenobi meant that the bad parts of Luke's father, the Darth Vader parts, had essentially done away with all the things that were good about Luke's father, like he had killed all the parts that were really Luke's father, and now he was just Darth Vader. And in that way, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader could both be telling the truth. Well, it was the most sophisticated thought, perhaps, that had ever entered my nine-year-old brain. And, of course, she was shockingly on target. And I think I may have begun at that moment to see people in more colors and more shades of gray than I previously had. And even today, when I read the Bible, Mrs. Bullock made me a fan for life, I try to see the people in those stories in all the colors and shades available to my imagination. 
In any case, unusually, that's who I thought of. Did you think of anyone? Stories have this wonderful way of sprouting like seeds and growing as the stories bring up thoughts that grow into conversations. Maybe that's why we call the show The Apple Seed. Coming up, Andy Offit Irwin with a story about mischief at church, specifically underneath the pews. That's next on The Apple Seed. I'm Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure to be with you on The Apple Seed today. A moment ago, we heard The Principal, a story by Donald Davis. And we have another story for you from the wonderful Georgia storyteller, Andy Offit Irwin. Now, a lot of Andy's stories revolve around his fictional Aunt Marguerite and the people who inhabit her world. Aunt Marguerite, after the death of her husband, who is also fictional, goes back to medical school and becomes a doctor when she's in her 80s. Now, not all of the Aunt Marguerite stories revolve around her doctoring, but the stories are always silly and tender and sometimes a little bit wise. And Andy has brought his Aunt Marguerite stories to audiences all over the country. This Aunt Marguerite story is about the types of shenanigans that little boys get up to at church before church becomes a place for making a connection with the divine. Andy calls this story, Marguerite Can Read Braswell's Mind, and it was recorded live in the Appleseed Studio. I have a friend named Braswell. Um, we we were we played baseball together uh, against each other, um, recreational and baseball in Newton County. We weren't licensed enough to be little league. <laughs> uh, we did it ourselves. There's a town that abuts Covington, Georgia. It's called Porterdale. It's the last intact textile mill town in Georgia. Covington, Georgia. I mean Porterdale, Georgia. Porterdale, Georgia, and Charlotte, North Carolina used to look exactly alike. Charlotte doesn't look like it used to. And Porterdale looks like it did 100 years ago. Braswell's fourth-generation mill people. When the textile company built the mill, they built the stores, the streets, the ball field. They had a full-size ball field. They had um, all the churches, all of the businesses, and all of the homes where the people who worked in the mills lived. The company literally owned the town. Ergo, um, if you worked for the mill, you were kind of going to work for the mill for a long time. Um, Braswell's grandmother went to our church, First Methodist Church in Covington uh, in 68. It became the United Methodist Church. Um, And on Wednesdays, Braswell and I played together. Um, What we did was I would ride my bike to my school. Braswell would ride his bike to, um, uh, I mean, to his school. And then my mama would pick him up from his house and bring him over to our house we would have supper, and we would do our homework, and then at 7 o'clock, we would go to choir practice. Um, and that's one of those times that Braswell was convinced that Marguerite is psychic. It actually began when he got his tonsils out. Uh, back in the day, young people, when you were 8 years old, you got your tonsils out, whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> Marguerite was a surgical nurse at the time. The, the mill had a little 8-person, uh, little 8-bed hospital, and Braswell had had his tonsils taken out. They didn't have a, a television in his home. He didn't know a lot of things that you would know about having your tonsils taken out. There are some cultural references to that. All he knew is when he came out of an anesthesia, Marguerite was there. She was holding his foot. She had the talent. She could, she could hold a kid's foot without tickling him. And she was waiting for him to wake up. And he looked up. He was so hungry, 
so thirsty. His throat was burning and there was only one thing he wanted. And Marguerite looked down at him and said, you want some ice cream? How did she know? (laughs) And ever since that time, Braswell was utterly convinced that Marguerite knew everything about him and could read his mind. We played baseball against Porterdale. Porterdale did not, um, the, the, the parents didn't, a lot of them didn't have cars, so they had their own team. The Covington teams all mixed up, but Porterdale had their own teams, and they were so bad, they took on the moniker, the worst moniker that any team could take on. They were the Porterdale Yankees. <laughs> it was serious. We love those Wednesdays. Um, we, uh, we, we went to, you know, choir practice together. One time, one of those Wednesdays in the spring, I told Brazel that we could play with my Mattel thing maker when he came to my house. Now, you people are too young to know what a Mattel thing maker is, and your parents probably had decent parents that didn't allow such a thing in your home. <laughs> this is what a Mattel thing maker is. Look it up on the internet later so you'll know I'm not making this up. It was a 350-degree hot plate that you plugged into the wall. Under strict adult supervision? Of course not. (laughs) What did you do with that hot plate? You put in lead aluminum molds. (laughs) What were the molds of? They were roaches and spiders and snakes and creepy crawlers. In fact, they were literally called creepy crawlers, registered trademark. You you, you know what I'm talking about. You remember this? Yes, right. And it it was a boy toy. Well, the girls had little hippie things. They had daisies and stuff. It didn't really sell. It was a boy toy because, you, you know, what you do is you would pour plastic goop. It was called plastic goop. It was polyvinyl chloride in a liquid state. You'd pour that into the mold, and it would smoke a little bit, and you'd hang over it <laughs> and smell it, y'all. I was driving. I, I had a gig. I had a gig in uh, South. I had every library in South Louisiana I've played. Uh, that's why I'm a storyteller and not a comedian, because I play in more libraries and churches, and there isn't a three drink minimum. <laughs> As opposed to comedy. All right, focus. Focus. But I was driving there. It's called the Chemical Corridor. It's where all the refineries are, right? And this green smoke came in through my air conditioner. And I rolled down the window. And I stuck my head out. And, <sighs> childhood. <laughs> I, I was so excited. We were going to play. We did our homework. We were going to play with my thing maker. It was raining uh, on this particular day. And we were going to play with my rain. And I was out of plastic. That horrible, horrible, empty bottle. <laughs> Oh, man, <laughs> sound. And, and we were bored, and we couldn't play in the rain. We didn't want to do anything else. We had an hour before a choir practice. And I went to my mama, and she was watching something on television. I said, we're bored. We're bored. We're bored. We're bored. You know what we are? Brazel, say what we are. Now, Brazel's an obedient kid. He respected adults. He said, I don't Brazel said he's bored. I'm blaming Brazel. My mama said, Brazel said no such thing. I said, yeah, he did. We're bored. Mama, we're bored. Mama, we're bored. Mama, we're bored. My mama said, fine. And she had an idea, something that she did when she was a little girl in her big house where she grew up. She went into her room. She came out with some baby powder. Now, the house had um, oak floors. It's a 1948 came on a train car house, one of those post-World War II places. So the, the, the floors were oak, but the rest of the house was asbestos and cardboard. 
It was heated with a floor furnace. Does anybody, y'all don't have these because it gets cold here. A floor furnace heated the whole house. It was four feet long, three feet wide, and a little bitty, you know, five foot hallway or four and a half foot. I mean, it had like six inches on either. I can't do the math part. Uh, six inches on either side of the floor furnace. It heated the whole house. It's it just hot thing. So when you went around it to the bathroom or anything, you had to go past the floor furnace. You had to dance around it. If you stepped on it, you would grill tread into your feet. <laughs> And I did when I was a kid. It gave me more traction when I ran barefoot. <laughs> so the floor furnace is about five feet from the kitchen, and that was the running area. And in front of the floor furnace, my mama sprinkled baby powder. She opened up her bedroom door, and she sprinkled baby powder there. She did this when she was a kid. She got in trouble, so she thought that I should have a better childhood. <laughs> She said, watch this, and she ran. Now, she was not eight years old anymore. She was about 43, right? And you had to have enough momentum to jump over the furnace. So when she jumped over the furnace, she slud. That is the correct verb, a lot in the tradition of my people. And she slud. Well, she wasn't eight years old anymore. She was 43. She was like, she couldn't stop. She couldn't stop. And then into her room, into her bedroom, she kept going. And she tried to stop and bam, her elbow went into the drywall. I did not say sheetrock. I said drywall. Drywall is a quarter inch of cardboard and glue. And it made a hole. And we were silent. And then my mama said, Hachi chachi. Now, when my mama said hachi chachi, it was good news, man. That was man. She's like, whatever. That means, oh boy. It means Yahoo. It means we're not in trouble. She pulled out. She pulled out a magic marker. I wasn't going to be in trouble, but she did it anyway. She pulled out a magic marker. She circled the hole with the magic marker, and she put her name, Tootsie, Miss Tootsie. My mama's name is Tootsie. You're laughing at my mama's name. She said, Brazel, you're the guest. It's your turn. Oh, no, ma'am. Uh-uh. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Uh-uh. No, ma'am. That's the kind of thing Brazel would die for if it, if, if, if it happened in his house. I said, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. She said, all right, go. So I got into the kitchen. I did a long jump over the furnace, and I slud. And I wasn't going to be outdone by my mama. So when I got to the wall, bam, I hit on my fist. <laughs> I knocked a hole in the wall, man, about that big, about, uh, you know, about six or seven inches wide. And my mama said, all right. And she circled that, but Andy, Brazel, it is your turn. You have to do this. <laughs> Brazel is obedient. He's going to do what the grown-up tells him. He said, all right. And well, you had to have enough momentum to get over the furnace. So even if he was going to try to run slow, he wasn't because he would grill his feet. <laughs> And he ran, and he slud. And he was a big, beefy guy, and he slud, and he tried to slow down. He tried to slow down, and his shoulder went into the wall, poof, and it hit the softest pot. It didn't make a hole, but it made a big, big cracked area. <gasps> Mama said, Braswell, yours is the biggest. Circle that, Braswell. Years ago, when my mama passed away, I lost the toss with my sisters, and I got the house. <laughs> Of course, I've papered it now with, with Katie Deedee wallpaper. <laughs> and that's schmoozing. That's Carmen Deedee's daughter. And, um, but, but I found this old mirror frame. So there in that mirror frame on some dusty old goldenrod paint are three holes with those magic marker names. I am that neurotically sentimental. <sighs> well, the next week after we did the slud or the sludden, I don't know the past tense of slud. <sighs> Oh, slutted. 
make note of that later. Um, if that was fun, you know when you're a kid and something's fun and you want to do it bigger than the time you did it before? I had this idea. It, was, it, was, it got warm, and we rode our bikes. What we do, uh, when Braswell came to my, uh, my house, there was a bike that lived at my house. That was his bike. And we would ride through the cemetery to choir practice. Um, and then on the way back, it was dark, and my mama would say, make sure you go through the cemetery. We had those lights with the generators that went on the cart and on the tire. Remember those? Like, Slow down your bike, but it would, the faster you go, the brighter your light. My mom made sure that we went through the cemetery because there were no cars. Please pay attention. My mama made me <laughs> ride my bike at night through the cemetery. Just want to make sure you're there for me. All right. Well, I had the idea. I put, I put um, some baby powder in my backpack, and we went to choir practice early. It was a pretty day. And I said, Mama, we're going to go ride bikes before choir practice. We had had supper. We had done our homework. My mama said, fine. I said, we got to go straight to the church. The church was never locked. This is why it is now. <laughs> First Methodist Church of Covington was built in 1854. It's a Greek revival church. Hallelujah, Euripides. <laughs> I didn't know if I would play here. I'm glad here. <laughs> but it is. It's a big old place. The back of the church, when you're in, you know, in the congregation area where the pews are, the back of the church is raked, which means it's higher in the back than in the front. Theater kids, who's a theater person? We got a, okay, in case you didn't know that, in the olden days, the stages themselves were slanted. It was higher in the back and lower in the front. That's why we say upstage and downstage. Everybody go, oh. Well, the church itself was raked. The, um, the floor was pine, not oak. Um, the old pews, we were always, my family was the seventh pew from the front. And our family had been in that church ever since it was built. The church was founded in 1822. This is the 1854 building. Right there, that was our pew, man. Every time, everybody knew that was our pew. I could see in the, in the pine floor, I could see, could see the heel marks of my foremothers. So what I did was, uh, Methodists, we go down and we kneel at the, at the chancel rail when we have communion. So I took the cushion on which we knelt that was, you know, on that little shelf, and I put it perpendicular on the floor, and I sprinkled powder all under the pews. <laughs> and I was inspired by the Olympics, the Summer Olympics. It was a joke we used to tell. Uh, how do you fill an Olympic-sized swimming pool? I don't know. How do you? I don't know. <laughs> Mark Spitz. That was funny in 1972. Let me tell you something. All right. So, so you know, we were going to do backstrokes, right? So, you know, the, I told Brazel, this is what you do, man. This is what you do. You, you, you grab onto the pew, you lay down, and you kick off on the wall. When I say one, two, three, go. One, two, three, go. And we grabbed the pews and we propelled ourselves on the pews. And whose head hit the cushion first wins. <laughs> this is why I have neck issues to this day. <laughs> And then we cleaned it up. Then we cleaned it up. And then nobody saw us. Nobody. And then Mrs. Kellum and the rest of the people came in. So we got away with it. The next weekend, we weren't in church because we were on a Boy Scout camp out. There's a term in my faith tradition for if you are fallen away from the church. And it's noticeable when you don't attend church. And there's a word I remember hearing. The week after Brazel and I weren't there, which was the week after that Wednesday that we 
play the game with the baby powder. Aunt Marguerite saw us after church. She walked right over to her. Andy, Brazel, y'all been backsliding. <laughs> How did she know? Andy off at Irwin with Marguerite Can Read Braswell's Mind. Thanks for joining us today on The Appleseed. And thanks to Donald Davis and Andy Offit Irwin for sharing their stories. Listening to these stories always brings up memories for me that you know I love to share. Where did the stories take you? And who will you take along? Our episode today was produced by Brian Tanner and Heather Bigley. Our audio engineer is Carly Wilson. Trent Horton, Natalia Reeve, Hannah Harlan, and Evie Hendricks make up the rest of the Appleseed team. If you want to send us a note, you can. You can email us at theappleseed at byu.edu. That's theappleseed, all one word, at byu.edu. Or if you're listening through a podcast app, rate us. Leave us a little review. It helps people find the show. We're pleased and proud to be among the many shows in the BYU radio family of programs. And you can find this episode or any episode from our archive on the BYU radio app at byuradio.org slash Appleseed or by Googling the Appleseed podcast. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed.